The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to episode 65 of The Things We All Carry. Chris Torres is a firefighter with FDNY, owner of IGY6 Fitness out of New York. He's also a peer support counselor for Next Rung, as well as vice president and board member of Next Rung. Chris was generous enough to spend about 90 minutes of his valuable time talking to me and sharing his story. He was born and raised in New York City. He also played collegiate baseball in New York City, and then he found his way to the fire department shortly after college. We discuss both his professional and personal journey along the way. In addition, we talk about his work in the fitness realm and how he is trying to lead prospective firefighters to success. Chris opens up about the how and why he found and got involved with Next Drug, as well as the role he currently plays in that organization. Chris brings a passion to everything he does in life, and it tends to be infectious. He's the kind of person who, after speaking with him, inspires you to run headfirst into whatever brick wall may be in your path. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder, you know, love or care about y'all enjoy the show. I want to welcome Chris to the show. Chris is FDNY firefighter for the last nine years. Outside of that, though, he does some pretty important things, and I wanted to call attention to it, so that's why I reached out to him. He is the owner of a fitness company called IGY6, and he's also vice president of Next Rung, and he's on the board of directors, as well as a peer support member for Next Rung. And I'm going to let him do a little better introduction, because who knows you better than yourself? And then we'll get Very into true. a story. So welcome, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Yeah, like you said, I've been with the New York City Fire Department for the last almost nine years. Now it'll be nine years in July. And I am the owner and head coach of IGY6 Fitness, which is originally based out of Brooklyn, New York. And our goal initially was to prepare people or candidates for a career in the fire service, law enforcement, and military. And since it has taken on a little bit of a bigger meaning in the physical and physical health and I have the pleasure to and honor to serve as the vice president of board of directors for Next Rung. And like you said, I'm a peer support counselor for the last, geez, almost a year and a half now. So this, we'll get more into Next Rung later on, but let's give just a brief overview of what Next, Next Rung does and what they offer real quick. Sure. Next Rung is a non-for-profit organization run by firemen for firemen. And... Our big thing is to tackle the mental health crisis that is that in the fire service. A lot of firemen have a tendency, firemen, law enforcement, or military for that matter, but just zeroing in on firemen have this mentality that, not so much a mentality, but a habit of just internalizing whatever's bothering them. And the idea of talking about it and coming forward with it is a sign of weakness. So what we offer to do, what we all, not that we offer, what we do is we offer, we run a lifeline. And we do this through a couple of different ways. More, the most direct way is our peer support line, which is staffed 24 seven by retired and current members of service of the fire, of fire departments. And it serves, it's operable 24 seven, text the word support, and you're gonna get an answer from a trained peer support counselor who also happens to be a firefighter. So sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody who's been through the paces and the same steps that you have, as opposed to somebody with a college degree who's trained on how to help somebody, but doesn't really understand the culture that comes along with being a firefighter or paramedic. And if there's something that we can't help with, we have a network of therapists that we can refer individuals calling to. And we vet these therapists to make sure that they're a good fit, not only for the individual, but for the fire service as a whole. And if the firefighters insurance doesn't foot the bill or the volunteer department without insurance or the primary insurance doesn't cover it, next wrong foots the bill for therapy appointments and therapy sessions. And if it gets deeper than that, where this individual might have 
some, a severe case of PTSD or a substance abuse issue, Nextrong does offer financial assistance for inpatient and outpatient treatment. So our, our goal is first and foremost, very straightforward and very transparent. And we're not a not-for-profit organization that does a little bit, a little bit at a time. We are constantly operating. We are constantly putting the needs of the responder before the needs of anything else. So we function on a 24-7 basis. So our mission literally doesn't sleep and doesn't end. Yeah, and that's awesome because as we both know, it this stuff strikes at any moment. So absolutely, it, it could be a call at 1.30 in the morning. And if you need to reach somebody after that, you need to reach somebody. And the beautiful thing is we have peer support counselors pretty much from New York City all the way out to Hawaii. So there's somebody usually awake at all times. So listen, it may take us a few minutes to get somebody on the line, but you're going to get the help that you need as quickly as humanly possible. All right. So let's go back to you. Where'd you okay. grow up and what was family life like growing up? Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Spent most of my teenage years there before I moved to Staten Island and then I started bouncing around the city. Raised by a single mom. Parents got divorced when I was about 10 years old. My father from that point was in and out. So my mom had the lion's share of raising myself and my younger sister. And she's a nurse. So she is what is now comfortably called a, a frontline responder or a frontline worker. So she was an ER nurse, a triage nurse. She's on home health care the whole nine. So she was a hustler and she always made sure me and my sister were taken care of before all else. Went to high school in Oakland, played two varsity sports, went on to play collegiate baseball at the College of Staten Island. And then I transferred to the City College of New York. And then from there, I was a little bit of a rudderless ship. I initially was a nursing major. And if anybody who knows me, I, the minute I say I'm a nursing major, they're like, you are going to be a male nurse. There's no <laughs> shot on God's green earth. And they're probably not wrong. I've been working in retail for a while, worked with Reebok right around the time. Their partnership with CrossFit was really starting to take off. And right around that time, I just got myself into not being a fat guy, for a better choice of words. I was a big dude. I topped out after college right around 245, 250 pounds. How tall are you? I'm about 5'11", 6 foot, depending on who you ask. Yeah, that's what we call whatever, fluffy. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, my college was like, you know what? Well, let's list you at 6'2", and then you meet me, and you realize this guy's not 6'2". <laughs> As a pitcher, take that for what it's worth. But uh, yeah, so that partnership with Reebok took off right around my time. Sorry, the partnership between Reebok and CrossFit took off right around the time when I was just starting to get into fitness. And there were one of co a few concept stores called the Reebok Fit Hub stores, which if anybody's been across a CrossFit space, just knows those as the Reebok CrossFit stores. And the perk of it was a CrossFit gym underneath the store. And this gym was in Midtown Manhattan. It was on 37th, 37th Street and Fifth Ave. So the gym was literally about a, in a subcellar of a high rise, which was cool as far as an aesthetic goes. And from there, I was off to the races. I had recently taken the fire department test while also applying to go back into nursing school. So I graduated with a degree in history. And if anybody's gone to a liberal arts college, understands that a history degree does absolutely nothing for you or regards to making a real living. So I was about to go back to nursing school, took the open competitive test for the FDNY, wound up doing extremely well. I was within the top thousand of list numbers. And for those on a smaller department, say a thousand names, there's no shot. You're getting hired. New York City is a monster fire department, and they usually hire off of any open competitive list at least the first 6,000 names off that list. So I was in basically the, the top, we'll say like top 15, 10 to 15%. So I was like, all right, listen, this seems like it's going to be a real career option for me. I had spoken to my cousin who is now a captain on the fire department, not by me. And I was like, look, if this is the career route I'm going to go, I got to get myself physically right for it. So things kind of lined up in a really good way for me to just to get my fitness in line for what is almost universally known as one of the toughest fire academies, not only in the United States, but in the world. So fast forward almost two full years, this is probably back in 2012, 2014, in July, I got sworn into the fire department. And at that point, it was just a learning and growing process from 
my time as a book and fireman, all fast forward almost nine years to now being in a very busy engine company in Manhattan. So for you, what's a, what do you experience? Just give us a breakdown of what your career has been like over the last nine years. Um, my career, I would say within the fire department has been atypical, right? So I started off now in any department, regardless of how busy or how slow they are, there's places that are going to run a lot. And then there's going to be places that they call camps, which aren't going to be doing too much running, but I guess relative to cold volume elsewhere, even some of our slower paces would be considered busier on other parts of the country. So I started off in a single engine in a nice part of Bay Ridge. So we were like, I would say middle of the road when it came to running. In regards to run, coal volume, fire duty, whatever it might be. Downside about being in a single engine company, there's no trucking quarters. So your only truck experience is given, at least when I was just breaking in, they would send you to, if you were in an engine, you got sent to a truck and vice versa for a period of 60 days. Working in a single engine, my sole training in being in a truck company was the 60 days that I spent in an opposite company in a different neighborhood of Brooklyn, which I ultimately did enjoy. So once I got a probation and then fast forward a year, we're probably talking about me being shy of say three and a half years, I put my transfer paper into a truck company. Career-wise, great move because it was a, it still is operationally a very good firehouse with very squared away guys with senior leadership who knows exactly what they're doing. <laughs> Emotionally, I was unbelievably unhappy. I was never unhappy where I was before. The move I made was for my career. And it was just a situation where I feel I didn't fit in and I was unhappy pretty much from the word go. And I'm sure, listen, I have to take ownership of my own actions. I'm sure there's things that should have been done differently on my end and could have been done differently. So I can't point the finger and say, it was all these guys' fault, F these guys, whatever it might be. That's not how the works. So I'm not ignorant to that fact. But long story short is, I spent a long time being very unhappy with where I was. Coupled with the fact that right around the time I got there, my marriage was falling apart. So it was a combination of not being happy at work and then coming home and being that much more unhappy. So this is where the fitness aspect comes in. I spent, not that I wasn't already spending a lot of time in the gym, but I spent that much more time in the gym. So this went on for almost four, going on uh, four years. We'll say four years, just for the sake of continuity. Got divorced, things at the firehouse didn't get better. Was really in a, just a, a really dark place. I was contemplating things that anybody of sound mind or of anything other than what I was wouldn't experience alone in that process. And that's where I found Nextron. And right around the time I reached out Nextron, IGY6 had just gotten off the ground. That was a little bit of a pet project of mine because I was with, at least associated with another fitness-based organization that was just, it wasn't a good situation there either. It was all right. It was not to bash on another organization. Just it was poorly run, but there wasn't a lot of transparency and things just weren't adding up. So right around the time I had started IGY6, I had become at least cordial with Blake, who is the co-director and one half of the founders of, of Nextron. And we started a conversation and that conversation eventually led to me emotionally just unloading. And at that point, through the conversations we had with Blake and me and him, he's probably one of my best friends now. He was actually the minister for my marriage to my current wife, who is unbelievable. I came to the realization that you already had that one big change in your life with divorce. If you're this unhappy with your career and you're starting to resent going to work, you have to make a change, right? So about a year and a half ago, a little bit longer at this point, I, I just threw my transfer paper in, not threw my transfer paper in, I didn't actually gave it a lot of thought and was pulled into the firehouse I'm in now on the suggestion of a friend that actually knew one other guy there, put my transfer paper in and that was probably one of the best things I could have done for myself and my career because I enjoy going to work now, I'm happy at home and I'm in a position where I can now help other people who have gone through similar paces with the full understanding that I had gone through the, no pun intended, had gone through the fire first. And I, why I say my career had been atypical because not a lot of guys transfer twice. And the second you put that second transfer paper in, questions start getting blown up. 
what's this guy's problem? Is he a problem child? Does he know what's his angle? What went wrong? Which were all questions that I had to answer in one way, shape, or form. But it was also questions that I didn't mind answering because the decision I made was purely for me and for myself only. And it was probably one of the best decisions I could have made not only in my career, but in my life. And uh, yeah, that was a really long-winded answer about my career, but that's just the direction my whole career and life has been since I've gotten on the fire department. No, and excuse me, I don't, you know, the long-winded is great. It gives a great background of what you've been doing. When you reached out to Next Rung, was it purely from all the personal stuff or is it job-related as well? I'm sorry, what was that? When you reached out to Next Rung and you started that conversation with Blake, was so that conversation with Blake didn't really start as for just to make it an apple to apples comparison, someone texting support to our peer support line. The conversation initially started as, hey, listen, I'm Chris, my GY6 fitness or IGY6 NYC. And we're starting this thing up. Blake's a CrossFit guy. So our, our first initial conversation were just purely comparing notes, talking about fitness. And then that led into conversation with the fire service. And then it just kind of led into us texting and becoming friends before anything else happened. And then as shit on my end started going that downward slope, the conversation just happened. So I guess in that regards, the talk about mental health and, and my own story and my own mental health, I guess that much like my career was relatively atypical because I didn't recognize or realize that I knew I wasn't feeling happy and I knew I was depressed and I knew I was having harmful thoughts. But I guess I didn't really pinpoint it as a, a workable problem. And so I accidentally had that conversation with Blake. That makes any sense. Yeah, that actually does make sense. So you just stumbled into it and eyes opened. For the most part, yeah, I guess the best parallel I can make to that is you're at a bar with a bunch of your boys, you knock him back a few and the emotional floodgates just open up. I guess that was the parallel you could make with me sans the liquor, I guess, which I guess is... I just self-identified through Blake's help that I was going through it and I needed help. So when you do self-identify and you realize you need help, what is it, what is the help you actually follow through with? So the help I follow through with is that for a lot of the help I got and counseling, that's what I was looking for. The counseling that I got came from Blake. Now, Blake is also a trained minister too. So. A lot of his background is faith-based, which helped me a lot too, because I was raised Roman Catholic. And if anybody was, who has been raised Roman Catholic and so out of love with Catholicism as a whole can totally understand the idea of Catholic guilt, where you, if you slip up, where you immediately feel like a bad Christian. Sometimes as a result, you feel like that you're not good enough to ask God for forgiveness or to or you viewed yourself as immediately flawed and beyond repair, even though that's not what's taught in Catholicism, just what's taught and what is in the Catholic culture are two very different things. And this is purely my opinion. So if you have any Catholic listeners out there, do not berate me or just, just hate me for it. This is my story. This is how I feel. But I also know that I'm not alone in that feeling. So Blake actually helped bring me back to my faith a little bit. Now I'm the furthest thing from a pious individual but what Blake did do and what worked for me was rebuilding that relationship with God and Christ that I'm able to pray openly and, and be open about my faith, which is something that I really didn't feel I was able to do before. So a lot of the help that Blake guided me with was me being a little more self-aware of my own situation and understanding that there was a higher power that was in my corner. Yeah, and it helps bring you back to, I don't know, to a center. Absolutely. It brought me back to where I was able to stop being so pissed off and mad at everyone else around me and myself and bring me to a point of greater understanding or maybe a better understanding of how other people operate and how they operate affects me and how I should operate around them, which ultimately led me to being, to me, being more honest with myself and self-identifying my own flaws and not hating myself or being pissed off myself for it. That is a very big bug. I'm sorry. Uh, we should tell, we should tell people you're a, outside in your backyard. While oh, they yeah. do this. I am in my backyard right now, just dodging a monster hornet right now. 
but yeah, the big thing was helping me to just take a step back and to, just to bring it back to the fire service, take a step back and size up the situation before I take my next course of action and make a move that's not only good for me, but now I have to consider my wife into this. Moves that are good for my wife. And I'm not perfect at it. Nobody is. There, there's still moves I make that I take a step back. Like, right, not the best moves, not the best course of action. How can I reevaluate and be better? Not only for myself, but for the individuals around me. Yeah. And that's a huge question for everybody to ask themselves. It's, and it's not an easy one to answer. It's naturally being firefighter, being paramedics, being men as a whole. There's, no, there's an ego that comes along with it that sometimes it needs to be checked. And if you don't think it needs to be checked, you're probably the guy who needs an ego check in the biggest way. That's that right there is the gospel. Let's be honest. Yeah. That is true. If you don't think there's a problem, you're probably the problem. 110% not to be, and listen, I'm a Brooklyn guy, so from time to time I curse, but we're just a bunch of big dick swinging individuals. The problem with that is the furthest thing from the truth. If anything, we're the group of individuals where not only are some, but our own abilities and all limitations. And sometimes, again, taking the firefighting aspect out of it, being a man, identifying your own limitations and trying to live within them or eliminate them is sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do. Because at that point, you're now realizing that you're not invincible, you're not perfect, and you need to change. I extrapolate that to, to when I talk to somebody on the job and they're talking about, they want to make a move, but they're worried if they're ready for it or not. And I guess... I always say, if you feel you're comfortable in something, you probably need to start learning something and getting uncomfortable because I think we do better when we're uncomfortable in certain positions. 110%. And I know those are two big parallels that can make my own career. Going from a single engine to a truck with a very good reputation is the easiest thing in the world to do. And then from there, identifying that I was unhappy and I was actually afraid to make the change because of the, not so much the taboo, but the question that come along with somebody looking to make a second transfer or transfer again, I was like, man, maybe I should just accept being just a miserable bastard for a while and just make the best of a bad situation or do my best to get promoted and get out of there. That wasn't easy either. Because again, there there's were the immediate questions of what's wrong with you as opposed to what's wrong with the situation, which is naturally human nature. If anybody coming in or, or off of anything but a stellar situation, the question is, all right, what's wrong? So for... To, to get better at anything, to make a situation better, there has to be that immediate need to step out of a comfort zone. And again, not easy to do, especially when you're set in your ways. No, it's not easy at all for anybody to do. It's, uh, it takes that introspection that a lot of us just never want to attempt. 100%. And uh, yeah, that, that big look inside is tough. Very tough. And that takes the... To do something like that, it almost has to be taught and nurtured and grown because nobody is ever born great at realizing that they're a little fucked up. Yeah, we're the sometimes the last ones to know how fucked up we can be. 110%. Which oh, is why you see that, which is part of the reason why, again, coming from a guy who has been divorced, that's probably a big reason why a lot of, and again, pointing directly at firefighters because I can't speak too much to the law enforcement and military community, why divorce rates are through the roots. That's but amongst other situations. Look, sometimes situations are just bad for everybody involved. But I'm sure the lack of ability to identify that there is a problem is one of the reasons why divorce rates within the fire service are skyrocketing. I think you hit on something, though, before when you just said the word men, because I think at some point that's ingrained in boys as they grow into men. It's a, it's a, you just, you don't pay attention to your own issues. And I think, like I said, it's that male ego that's ingrained into you. Absolutely. To take in a little bit of an older school look at it. And yeah, just the old school, I guess, paradox of it all is that the man is the provider. The man has to be tough to protect his family and provide. Not that that's an incorrect way to look at it. Listen, I, as a man, I feel like myself that my, my duty is to provide, which is fine. At the same token, ignoring yourself, your needs, your wants, and what's bothering you is self-destructive. And when you start to implode on yourself, the, that's the thing about imploding that it does eventually lead to an explosion. So nothing wrong with the mentality of wanting to work hard and being there for your family, but also take the step back and look at your own wants and needs 
every now and again to make sure that you're doing okay in those respects. So what do you do today to make sure that you keep yourself in check then? That's a great question. I'm just pretty good at doing that. Sometimes she, she will, um, for better short switch, call me on my bullshit. And it's, sometimes it, I might get pissy over that because at that point it's like, where is this coming from? So my wife is very good at bringing me back to center. But sometimes, again, it relies on my son. It's too is I don't see the word overreact, but if I get pissed off, I get pissed off. And at that point, it's F this, F that. Why are we doing things this way? And give myself a little bit of time, space, and opportunity to cool down a little bit. And again, maybe getting back into the gym and just releasing a little bit of that pent aggression. Coming out of it, I'm able to be like, all right, this is my opportunity to slow down, take a look back. And I want to feel a little bit better about not necessarily, not necessarily what occurred or what was said, but it gives me a little bit of pause and understanding. So my thing is to keep myself in check, I got to give myself a little bit of time and space as opposed to rolling with the knee-jerk reaction and then following up with an overhand right. It's working out, tra- let me rephrase, training, not working, but working, training to me means working out with a purpose and meaning behind it as opposed to just arbitrarily moving in the gym. So training with a purpose gives me a little bit of pause and perspective on things. So when I do come back to make a decision or speak with someone, I'm coming from a more level-headed understanding perspective. Yes. So let's talk about your CrossFit then. Let's talk about it. You, I am I'm, a CrossFit guy, apparently. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, what you, that's what you talk about, right? That's what you do. Listen, that, that's, oh, you're the CrossFit guy. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm the CrossFit guy. What's up? So tell your journey started a long time ago with CrossFit. Yeah, we're talking, I got into the sport and yes, it is a sport. Probably back in like 2011 is when I went through what, and a lot of gyms still do it. Unfortunately, not enough gyms do it. I went to my foundations course, which was just my movement familiarization across a couple of classes. Started training or shadowing as an intern coach a year later, because I was sold hook, line, and sinker on the methodology, the meaning and the community behind it. So we're talking, I've been in the coaching space probably as long as I've been an athlete, as a competitive athlete within the functional fitness like CrossFit space. So we're talking 2012 to present day. I don't think there's been an extended stretch where I haven't coached. And I have a lot of competition experience under my belt, which was nice. Like the top CrossFit filled that void between my last collegiate year and I guess my time playing. I never really stopped playing ball, but playing ball at a higher level with the fire department. Nicely, so... It, it filled that competitive void and niche that wasn't, that was there. What my eligibility with the NCAA was up. Yeah. I think that's a big part too, because it, that is something that for you as a kind of a top tier athlete coming out of, you, you played college ball. So you're, you've got a certain skill set that the rest of us don't have. And there's a certain, there's a component of that competitiveness that, that is, I don't, I don't want to say addictive, but it does fulfill something in you. Oh, there's a monster biochemical change that occurs in the brain. After a workout, that's why people feel almost elated and euphoric after a workout. Now, take that feeling and add yourself into the equation going up against other people. Now, take that same, that same sensation and then beating people that you're quote unquote not supposed to beat. It's a high, I can only imagine that an extreme sport athlete gets. That feeling of almost invincibility, for better or worse, because I've also gone from competition to competition and done a good job of banging myself up. But the feeling of going up against somebody who's testing their fitness or basically themselves against you, win, lose, or draw, you ultimately feel phenomenal and unbelievable afterwards because you just push your body to a limit that 99.9% of the world said, you know what? Nah, I'm good. And on top of that, you push your own limits. You're able to test yourself and push your own boundaries and do think that you didn't think you were physically capable of. And at 35, officially a master's athlete, which is just a fancy word of saying you're not in your 20s anymore. <laughs> it's still a good feeling to be able to go out there in a competition and square up against a, a 21, 22-year-old and beat them. Or go up against a former games athlete and compete, surprise them, and for better choice of words, punch them in the mouth and give them an L. That, that's a feeling that I can only get really equate to anybody who is either in the space or competes in an individual sport. And it also does help that 
it, it does line up for the physicality of what the fire service has to offer. And so you take the, you take your experience with CrossFit and you open your own gym. I, so I started IGY6 Fitness operating out of a gym. Okay. And that eventually probably to me having a piece of the gym I was at. All right. I literally outright own my own place. And that is a long-term goal. And that's something that, as an athlete, looking at the purely perspective athlete, I almost have to be willing to take a step back as an athlete and focus more on being a business owner. Not that I'm not ready for the opportunity because I, I just bought a house. So right now, my time and effort is going into making sure my mortgage is paid and that there's no holes in my roof. But at some point, yes, I would like to maybe step into that space and own a gym and run it the right way. So tell me about IGY6 and your purpose and the idea behind it when you started it. So when I started IGY6, like I had mentioned earlier, I was with another fitness, I can't even say they were a fitness organization, they were fitness related. A fitness related firefighter run organization. And the big point, there was two big glaring problems that I saw with it. One was ego and the lack of willingness to be hands-on. Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. So, Hands-on from the trainer's position or the owner's position? Hands-on from the athlete to, trainer to athlete or athlete to athlete perspective or okay. colleague to colleague perspective, where listen, it's great to give someone or a firehouse some equipment. That's awesome, right? That's great. The problem is I can give somebody I give somebody a jet, a jet, a jumbo jet, a 747 and be like, right now go fly it. And they're going to look at me like I have six heads. The idea here that I initially saw was I could facilitate a, a small change within my group of colleagues, within my group of contemporaries by showing them how to properly move, educate them how to safely move, educate them on the methodology, programming the whole nine. From there, they have that with them forever. That's something that's going to be in their toolbox that they can hopefully, when somebody asks them for help, that they could pass on to the next individual or group of individuals. So it's not just a matter of giving the individual the equipment, but giving the individual the training, the skill set, and the tools to know what they're doing so they could train smarter, more efficiently, and longer. Because the most useful, useless thing a fireman can be is injured, right? At that point, and active, you, you can't be an active duty fireman, Kurt, or morbidly out of shape. And this isn't a body shaming thing or shaming somebody who doesn't want to go to the gym. This is just a perspective that I hold that. And again, it's this sentiment is something that's been expressed by many of the individuals where the minute you raise your hand and get sworn in, you forfeit the right to be out of shape. My goal never was to shame someone into getting into shape, but to be a resource for someone who does want to get into shape so they can then eventually educate other individuals on how to get into shape. Now, what I come in with IGY6 is, not only do I offer that, or yeah, not only do I offer that level of training, because I, I, I hold certifications across the board, across different methodologies, but to streamline the big bowl of wax that is fitness and melt it down to something that's a little bit more job specific and functional for the firefighter, law enforcement, first responder, military community. And if we think about it, that's all three in different varying shapes or form set around a couple of different things, push, pull, and drag, pushing, pulling, dragging. And then from there, it's teaching them and educating them and giving, and having the facility did help because the way we programmed was very minimal. There, there's not a single machine involved. This is harkening back to the functional fitness aspect. There was no Jacob's ladder, Stairmasters. Treadmills, no, no, you're, you, if you want to run, you want to get on a Stairmaster, you're going to run or you're going to step up to a box. And bags, broad mills, plates, and dumbbells. As intricate as some of the programming may seem on the surface, once you get beneath the surface, it's very simple to the point where you, the idea is you don't need a lot of equipment. Now, that was a mouthful. IGY6, the goal is to just teach first responders 
how to be fit. And teachers, first responders, how to relay what they know to other first responders, which again, not to bury horror with myself and pat myself on the back here, I've done a pretty damn good job of that to date. The adage I use is 25 in, 25 out. That's 25 on into the FDY Fire Academy, 25 out of the FDY Fire Academy. I do not take credit for their success. What I will take credit for is aiming them in the direction of success. What they do at that point is entirely up to them. And the other aspect was the ego thing. Only recently, and I'll say probably within the last eight months, and we've been around going on five years now, have I really gone out in front of a camera? I never was to be the face of a brand. I wanted the individuals who have come out of IGY6 to be the testimonial to, to our mission and what we do. Only recently have I gotten into like the podcasting space or announcing workouts live or doing monthly workouts in front of a camera only because I could write up an 18 page synopsis about what a monthly workout is, or I can give you a two minute video and explain what's going on. And as you can tell with the podcasting thing or having me on now, you give me a topic, I can pretty much talk at will about it. So it's only within the last year that I've put myself out in front of the camera, but the goal has never been to be the face of a brand. Because you have to make yourself the face of a brand. The mission sometimes has a tendency to get lost in whatever you're personally trying to do. What I've... Yeah, no, I can, un I can understand exactly what you're saying because then the focus becomes you, not what you're trying to do, not, what you're, not the success you're trying to give to other people. 110%. And the one thing I make a point to do even on my monthly workouts, is to make it as personal as humanly possible. Where I tell people, hey, listen, post these workouts, tag us in it. I want people to, I want other people to see the work you're putting in. Because the work you're putting in can be an inspiration to someone else. And I've had people who are in very good shape, who all be told probably don't need IGY6. And I have people who, man, they need a lot more help than IGY6 can offer, come to me and ask for help. And I'll be like, listen, you're doing a great job. I want to share your story. Let me help out. Let me be an avenue for you to motivate yourself and motivate other individuals. I don't want to be a gimmick. I don't want to be a hairstyle. I want to be somebody that makes a genuine change amongst my peers. And that's always been the goal since day one. One thing you talked about was the day you raise a hand and swear in that you, you give up the right to be out of shape. You know as well as I do that not all firefighters adhere to that. We have an, a large population of firefighters who are over, overweight or even obese. How would you approach those firefighters and how would you try to get buy-in from them to, to correct their fitness and their health? So when it comes to the approaching an individual, right? So going back to the male ego, like I stated before, a man realizing or a man realizing that he's flawed and needs to change. I can't tell, so listen, I, I could be that big sickness dick and be like, bro, you are a fat piece of shit and you need to change. That is not my place. That is not my role. And that is not my right to say. One thing I've always said is, and I, this is something I think I've been pretty consistent with pretty much since 2018 when IGY6 started is that we want to be a resource for individuals who want the help. So if you realize that there is an issue and maybe not even an issue, you realize there's something that you want to change about yourself whether it's how your pants fit or how you perform in the fire ground or how you play on Sunday salt or whatever it might be, we want to be able to be the resource behind the change that you're looking to facilitate, right? So the only thing that I would do or can do is attempt to be as relatable and as personable as possible in the process. I, I work out hard, I work, but I also work out as someone who's training for sport. So how I train for sport isn't necessarily how I would encourage somebody to train who's just looking for general health and wellness or to be in better shape. Not will probably. My goal is to be just an example setter. And if somebody wants to help, I will help them. But I can't be the one, again, as some other organizations have done, be like, man, look at this fat piece of shit. This guy's going to get somebody fucking killed. That's not my role. Because the crazy part is some of these bigger, heavier set guys who may not necessarily be in the best shape probably have a Smithsonian level education and library 
all of the fire service. Now, if you get them to physically be on par with what they know, then you have an unstoppable force of a farm, right? The goal is to reach the individuals who want to make the change because there's a difference between the individual who wants to make the change and the individual who needs to make a change. Sometimes the individual who needs to make a change doesn't see it or doesn't want it. Now, regardless of how hard I push, that individual isn't going to make that change because in order to train, and again, I say the word train, not work out, there has to be a willingness to put the effort forward. If you don't want to do it, it doesn't matter how much I, I beat it into your head or want to beat it in your head if I was that individual. Now, from a systemic standpoint, in regards to the fitness aspect of it, that onus has to be put on each individual department, right? And again, I don't speak for the FDY. I don't speak for any of the higher ups with my department. My opinion is purely mine and mine alone. And I guarantee you, it doesn't echo the sentiment any department out there. But there has to be a willingness on the end of paid and more importantly, volunteer departments to put some responsibility on the individual and not only that, enforce it and enforce it strictly. But the problem with that is, is you know, everybody has an opinion and an attorney. It's very, it's very easy to step in the world of saying, oh, why is there this certain weight requirement? Why do I have to do X, Y, and Z in a certain amount of time? Why do I have to be able to lift X, Y, and Z? That's a discriminatory act. Now, or it can be viewed as a discriminatory act, right? For better or worse. It's going to have come half, I'm sorry, come down to departments being willing to take a little bit of blowback to ensure that they're putting the best product out there. This could be to any one of the major car manufacturers pulling the coal or car that is not fit for the road. Pulling money in the well, first of all, you're trying to put out a safer, I think, difference for firefighters, law enforcement or the military. And again, I can't speak to the military standard or standard, lack of standards, whatever the situation may be, because I'm not a vet. I, I never had the honor of serving, but almost across the board. And this is just what I've gotten from people who are on paid and volunteer departments is that standards as a whole, physical affairs are being dropped across the board. So the, the change has to be twofold. The change has to, the response, ooh, crap, sorry. Frog just flew right into my face. The change yeah, has you, to be. You got to dodge that, man. That, this, 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 I'm taking live fire here. <laughs> the change has to be put on the individual and the department or departments or whatever agency they work for. It's a twofold approach that unfortunately I don't think we're going to get on one side. So then the onus now is going to have to fall on the individual, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing as long as the individual or the group of individuals are willing to put the work in the change. Yeah, I agree with you. I, as long as they're able to recognize and then put in that effort, it's minus that thing. effort, then we're really in trouble because you're right. Departments across the country are dropping standards. And, right. and that's a whole, that's a, that's something that's endemic to the fire service right now is the recruitment process for a lot of departments. And it, that, that job's just not that the aura of the job is just not there right now. Uh, and again, the one thing I've seen, again, this is a exclusive to the city of New York. This isn't exclusive to any of the multitude of volunteer fire departments out on Long Island or even paid departments across the country is that the benefits both monetarily and in regards to things like insurance and perks are pushed more than certain job expectation and the inherent danger that comes along with it. If you look at any recruiting flyer for any paid department, because again, I can for the most part, speak to the paid department aspect of it. Look at any recruitment flyer for the, for any paid department. There's, a couple, there's almost a couple of universal things you got to see on a flyer. It's going to be, all right, favorable hours, good pay, good benefit package, right? Mm -hmm. Without fully understanding that the job's physical, the job's dangerous, and yeah, there's a good chance the job's going to take years off of your life. <laughs> But in today's world, it's more, all right, I have to make my money. Now, the problem with that is the minute you, make, you bring money into the equation, you, do, you are casting a wider net, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because again, I didn't come up in a firefighter family. My cousin was a fireman, uh, was, he is, and is captain on the job. 
But I don't come from a traditional firefighter family where people are quote unquote born into it or surrounded by the culture. I was a pretty much for a better choice towards a failed collegiate athlete with who was still trying to figure out his future and purpose and happened to do well on the test and take the job opportunity. Difference is I fell in love with the job and take it seriously. You're not going to get that across the board. Change on that end has to be, all right, look, you have to be an X, Y, and Z shoot. If we're, and some departments get paid very well, but some departments, those same departments won't enforce a physical standard to even newer individuals. And the problem with that is that you're creating a bigger problem having people who may not necessarily be physically or have the right mindset for the job. And I'm sure that's a problem you're seeing down by you. So you're getting people who walks to the firehouse and you could tell they don't give a shit. They don't care. They're drilling and they're not in the room. They don't care. I don't know how, if there is a way to teach people to care more or to give a shit about the job, but a lot of that starts with maybe a better understanding of what goes into the job. And maybe that's something that should be highlighted more across the board. Yeah. And I think that to attract some people, and I've had this conversation with other folks to attract a certain level of people, you don't lower your standard, you raise your standard. 110%. Raise the standard. There's nothing, and here's the thing about the standard. And this is what also needs to be beaten home also is that the standard is the bare minimum expectation. That's exactly what the standard is. You have to do X, Y, and Z in this fairly passable time. Raising the standard is raising the bare minimum expectation, which isn't a bad thing. If you're going to offer somebody damn near close to six figures, be a fireman, make sure they can earn that shit. And whether it be physical or mental, because you need both. Yeah, and again, there's something I, I bang the drum heads on is the idea of strong mind, strong body. That's, that, that's an expectation of, of being a first responder as a whole, that you're physically able and you have the mindset for the job itself. Yeah, and that is the quandary because if you get, not if, because we do have people in the fire department and fire service that don't have the mindset, so how do you build a mindset? And I think that's just taking time and mentoring and not, like you said, not bashing or making fun of, but bringing into the fold and saying, hey, this is how we do it and, and let's see if you can hang with it or see what changes we can help make. 110%. And the thing is, on, on again, this is probably an across-the-board thing, some people will understand early on, this job isn't for them and they'll resign. And instead of MFing the, these guys and be like, oh, this guy's shot good riddance, maybe give the kid a pat on the back and realize, yeah, listen, he made the right move. If this job isn't for him, it's a good thing you realize it now before he gets somebody hurt, as opposed to some departments who pay very well. It does be like, oh man, you know, this job isn't for me, but man, overtime is unbelievable. And I'm making bank. F it, I'm going to stay around. You know, I mean, we can't see somebody to be that introspective, but maybe there's a mindset that should be adopted. Yeah. So those are all topics that we could spend hours discussing 110%. because it's just, it's endless. It's endless in the fire service right now. And so let's talk, let's get back into the next rung. Yes. Describe what you do when someone calls you and you're put into the position of peer support. So of that, I've had a couple of phone conversations, but more often than not, I'll, and uh, yeah, I'll say a vast majority of the initial contact comes in the form of the word support text to our hotline number, which uh, unfortunately I don't know off the top of my head. I really should because uh, I'll get that to you so we can throw that up in the, the category of the total. And a, there's a vast majority of the interaction initially is very simple. Finding out what's, bother what's, what's on the mind, what's bothering, what's hurting these individuals right now. And that just takes a little listening and understanding and not necessarily jumping to a conclusion. So a lot of it initially is listening through text, as, as contra-indicative as it sounds, but just reading, listening, and comprehending for a little bit first before throwing an opinion or a suggestion out there. Sometimes there, there's a situation where sometimes these people just want to unload on somebody and just pull. And then there's uh, this situation where somebody's dealing with some dark circumstances around them that they don't know how to deal with. And they're coming to you because they just want somebody to understand and empathize and realize that the situation they're going through sucks. And that's something that Blake showed me is when I was going through my nonsense at my old firehouse and dealing with the divorce, Blake said something very straightforward. He goes, you know what, man, that sucks. I'm like, man, thanks for recognizing that this whole situation blows. 
knowing that at least somebody understands and recognizes that what I'm going through sucks, it is enough. But a lot of the initial conversation that goes down is just understanding and more importantly, not judging. Listen, I, I could speak for myself. I could speak for the other counselors. Sometimes there are situations that people are going through. I'm like, man, I don't think I necessarily agree with it, but or agree with their point of view. But I can also understand that what they're going through and what they're feeling is important to them. And recognizing the importance of what someone's going through and you don't have to necessarily empathize, but recognize that it's important to them is a big step in the right direction to getting these individuals the help that they want and in some cases the help that they need. Yeah, and that that's, first of all, it's a huge step for someone just to reach out. 110%, that's the hardest part sometimes. And I just looked, I just Googled and the support says text support to one eight three three six nine eight seventy eight sixty four. And so I'll also put yes. that in with notes. Yes, and stuff. thank you. But and yeah, and I guess it's texting that to somebody and having a text conversation it, you know, for some people is probably going to be a hell of a lot easier than having a, an actual conversation. Absolutely, just on just to make it a convenience factor. When you're on the phone with somebody, they, there's usually a start and a termination point to the conversation. When it comes to texting is if you don't want to speak for a little bit and you need a second to comprehend on either side of the line, where somebody's dropping some, some heavy stuff on you, and you're like, let me take a step back before I respond. Well, on the flip, if you're that individual texting and you're now in your feelings about what you're going through and you need a second, you can just stop texting for a little bit and gather your thoughts. And that's, the, that's probably the upside to texting is somebody who's texting in. So on convenience, yes, but just on being able to comprehend what you're doing and on both sides, taking a step back to think, comprehend, and understand, texting is, is relatively easy or easier. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that with that because with that phone call, there is a finite end to the phone call. And that text yes. conversation can, what's the term nowadays? It's, you can be left on red for a while. and Pretty much, yeah. And there's no, and it happens in every conversation. There is, especially when you're, Functionally, a stranger is speaking to somebody who wants to help. There's going to be a lot of awkward pauses, which can make conversation harder to carry on. You're not going to get that with a text. You may get an elongated pause, but that could be like, hey, this person didn't feel their phone vibrate in their pocket, or they just need a second. Tell me about the throwdown. So the throwdown came apart, came together. This is the third year we're doing. The first year, Blake was like, hey, man, I think a throwdown would be pretty cool. As a fundraising event, and again, Blake is a big CrossFit head, just like I am. So I was like, all right, let's kick the tires on it, and let's figure out best ways to get some donations in the next run to get people the help they can get. There was a metric put out not too long ago by Blake. I think it was something like $1,000 brought in. Helps, I believe, four or five first responders with their first, I think, three or four sessions of paid therapy. And that was like a level, like, my man, which is just 1K, a simple thousand dollars, four figures, gets four or five brothers and sisters, at least the professional help to get the conversation going. So again, at this point, I'm still neck deep in the world of competing and I'm coming off of doing some big events and I podiumed in a few of them. So I, where I was in Brooklyn at Coney Island Fitness, which unfortunately has since shuttered through no fault of the ownership. That was actually a landlord issue. I approached the owners. They were like, man, that would be a great idea. Let's do it. And things came together quick. Again, marrying the idea of physical fitness and training as an outlet or as a form of therapy was really the big motivation behind it. But the one thing I learned early on, very early on in my own CrossFit experience, is that the community or the functional fitness community will always come together for a cause, especially one that in some way, shape, or form can affect everybody. Like a big thing in CrossFit is Barbells for Boobs, which is, I'm not even sure if that organization is around, but a fundraising event for breast cancer research through Memorial Sloan Kevin. And that, there's always a big turnout with that. Everybody in some way, shape, or form in their lifetime has felt down in the dumps about something. Everybody knows what it's like to feel depressed or upset about it. And hell, even some people know what it's like to, to not, to feel alone and not be able to talk about it. And now in some way, shape, or form, everybody's had contact with a copper fireman, for better or worse. So the idea was, man, let's put together a charity throwdown and let's just see where it goes. 
And the first year we had a phenomenal turnout. It was one location. It was in Brooklyn. And we got about 45 people in person to come through this event. And it wasn't just 45 members of the FDNY. It was a heat of members from the FDNY Crawlership team, myself included. We had members from the volunteer community out on Long Island. Some people drove a few hours to come in for the event. Law enforcement, again, not just NYPD, but Port Authority, corrections, agencies in Jersey. And it came together and we were able, and then we also did an online version of the Throwdown as well, which we are going to continue to do this year as well. And we were able to raise a good, I think we raised about $13,000 or $14,000 that first year. I'm like, all right, that's good. This is, the way I look at it is that's going to help double-digit firemen get the help they need. So at that point, I was like, I think I found my way to pay back next wrong for pretty much bringing me back from the lowest point I had ever dealt with in my life. And at this point, I really had no interest or desire to become a fear sport counselor because I was like, man, I my own shit. I don't, think I, I don't think I'm ready or have the ability to deal with someone else's hardships or someone else's bad day. Obviously, that's since changed because I'm a peer sport counselor now myself. So the next year, Blake was like, I want to do one down in my gym. I was like, Blake, fuck yes. Let's bring this bad boy to Georgia. So we had our first two city throwdown. And again, another online throwdown. And as we started getting ready for this year, we definitely knew we were going to do one in New York. We were definitely going to do one in Georgia. And then the opportunity came up for someone who had actually done, who had participated in the first two years. Oh, I reached out to us like, hey, man, I think my gym in Connecticut would be really down to this event. And that's where we're going to be this weekend, which is awesome. It was his name's Chris Renshaw. He's the chief of the UConn Fire Department. He goes, man, like, you know, I think this is great. Let's do it. And great. Awesome. And he came together quick. Owner Pat Stone has been nothing but gracious with this space. And a little like a week later, we get somebody else reached out to us from across the future in Ohio. For him, actually going to reach out to him probably when we break here in Ohio. So we went from two cities, but to four cities real quick. And it looks like before the year is out, there may be one or two additional throwdown events. So the way I look at it is that, yeah, man, I, I have the opportunity to, to mix a world that I love within the functional fitness world, within the crossfire world, to put together the, these throwdowns where we get to highlight not only the first spot of community, but the civilian community through fitness, but parlay that into a very tangible way to get people the help that they need. And the beautiful thing is that and I've only had to approach one location on doing it just because I, I, my heart is always in Brooklyn. So we're going to be doing a fifth throwdown event in Brooklyn. We haven't announced it yet, but we are going to in the coming days. But being able to get people the help that so many people have either been afraid to get or ultimately have succumbed to mental illness. Mental illness, sorry, I'm actually, sorry, I butchered that. But have succumbed to the effects of mental illness illness through unfortunately taking their own life, yeah. which that once upon a right around the time of the pandemic, there was a big, not necessarily an uptick, because I can't say that number's gone up or down in regards to first responders taking their own life, but because frontline workers, more specifically the first responders were highlighted so heavily for the work that was done during that shit fucking terrible 2020 stretch, that has since been highlighted less. And I think that's to the discredit of the community as a whole. Being able to tell people, like, hey, listen, guys, the news coverage isn't picking this up, but this is still a problem that needs to be addressed. And the beautiful thing is we're being able to raise awareness, not only through the through next one in the work that we're doing, but through the fitness community and the culture community. It's serving a twofold purpose of not only getting the funding in for next one for the work they need to do, but highlighting the awareness that there's still people going through it. And there's still firefighters dying almost at, at a daily and weekly clip. And there's cops taking their own lives at a daily and, we and weekly clip. Bringing awareness to that really is the biggest goal of it, but being able to pull in the funds and the finances so Nick Strong doesn't have to turn people away, which we haven't yet, which is awesome, to get the help they need is just, it's not even rewarding because re rewarding means that I gain something from this as a whole. It's not, but the reward comes personally in a couple of different ways. And it happened at FDIC this year when people were coming up to Blake and Charlie and say, hey, I'm somebody who called the support line. I'm somebody who went to therapy and you guys paid for it. And I'm here because of you guys. And it doesn't happen a ton as just, just by the nature of what we do. We lose contact with people who've gone through therapy and have come out 
on the other side better for. But having those opportunities to speak with someone who has come up to Blake, Charlie, and in a couple of instances myself, be like, hey, man, thank you. That's worth it. That, that's where, that's pretty much the only personal gratification I receive from this, aside from knowing that this is the organization that saved my own ass. So the, the throwdown is going to go down. I hate the fact that that kind of sort of robbed, but the throwdowns will go down as long as I have the ability to host them and have participating affiliates and gyms willing to host us. So let's wrap up with where we can find you. The easiest way to get a hold of me is through any one of the social media accounts. Uh, IGY6, is a social media handle, is at NYC underscore IGY6 Fitness. My own personal page is Chris at IGY6, oh, sorry, at Chris underscore IGY6 Fitness. There's also, again, the next wrong main page, which is constantly being manned, the peer support line. But if anybody's interested in hosting the event, definitely get a hold of us in one of the, one of the two aforementioned social media accounts, or you can email me at chris at nextwrong.org. Uh, those three ways, and again, I'm 35, so my phone is no more than an arm's length away from me. I, am, I do my best to respond within the hour. But if anybody's interested in hosting a throwdown event, I have yet to turn down a gym that has approached us that has shown interest. And you know what? It's every event that I've done so far, has been a hell of a day, and I expect no different from the upcoming events that we have coming up this season. Perfect. I have a I have a couple of questions I normally ask guests before we get off of these calls, and uh, one of them is about an everyday carry. And the reason I ask about an everyday carry is because this show is the title was based loosely off a book that's called "The Things They Carried," and it's a novel set in Vietnam. And it discusses the items these people carried into war, but the scars and the wounds they carried out of it. And so I like to ask people, what's an everyday carry you carry every day that you feel naked if you leave the house without? This is actually something more tangible and less metaphorical, but I, I even going to work or going to a ball game or whatever it might be, I always have short sneakers and a t-shirt in my car. Okay. That's just something I keep up because if I'm feeling it and I need to just do something, I have, that's my toolbox. My, I have my toolbox to, to be able to physically take care of something so my mind rest at ease. Perfect. That's something that, that I have with me. It's a pair, it's a shitty pair of black CrossFit Nanos, a pair of highly shorts that might be older than some individuals, <laughs> and I probably like a random firehouse shirt. If I had a, a shit night tour, if there's something I saw that, I might laugh off externally, might beat me up on the inside. I can at least work out whatever sadness, anger, or aggression that I have in my head in my, or in my heart at the gym, pretty much at will. And the next question I ask everybody is about a book. Do you have a book that you could recommend the audience, something that you've read lately or you've read anytime really that, that gave you some value and you want to share it with the audience? So there's actually two books. So there's one book, and for whatever reason, I went on vacation and by vacation at home. And one thing I didn't want to do was seem like I'm wasting my own time. And there's a lot more, there's people out there who can talk and well, and I can learn to be that guy. So there was, I actually went to Barnes and Nobles and bought a few books. One of them was just a leisure read. And then I bought one book and then a friend of mine, because I told him I was like in a mental rut. And it was a book he read and he actually sent it to me. So the book I'm actually in the process of finishing now is called Mind Gym, An Athlete Guide to Inner Excellence. And it was written by Gary Mack, who's a sports psychologist, but he's worked with athletes in the NFL, MLB, and in the NBA going back, and golfers, he's actually a big golf fan, going back probably to like the late 80s, early 90s. And his book, or, or like mantras and inculcations that I take with me on the ball field and in competition. Things like being present, being in the moment, and blocking out things that you can't control. The other book, which was sent to me by, I call, I affectionately call him Theo Emilio. He's one of the athletes on the FDY CrossFit team. And I told him, dude, man, I'm in a rut, man. I, I got to change my mindset. I'm stuck. And he actually sent me a book by Dave Goggins, Never Finished. And that is a book that, I'm very much looking to read. And the last 
is extreme. I think it's extreme leadership, extreme ownership, and it's by Jocko Wojnik. And that book, I started years ago and never finished. That was more like a personal vendetta book that I Those are the three books, Mind Gym and I'm Never Finished. Those are two, then, then book I'm finishing, and that's one book that I'm going to pick up the second I finish Mind Gym. Perfect. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the conversation. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing and uh, keep up that good work, man. And man, thank you for giving me the opportunity just to share my story and, and share the work that Next Run does. Because like I said, I'm, if you're not living a life of service, you're living a life wasted. The idea is to leave the world and whatever profession you're in better than the way you found it. Whether it's something tangible or something where somebody's able to live a better life. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to at least share that moment. Yeah, and keep in touch. Maybe we'll find a gym down this way that'll host the throwdown. If one, send them my way. We will. All right, man. Perfect. All right, brother. Go enjoy the rest of your day, man. I appreciate it. Take care. <laughs> I'm, I'll talk to you later. All right, we're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.